0: All right, film geeks, I watched Dune for the first time, conquering my fear of extreme sci fi fantasy films, and I'm still slightly confused. So let's talk about it. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. Oh, y'all, I'm mad as hell. Listen to me rant for a hot second. Okay, I had a plan. I had a whole plan on how I wanted to approach my Dune Part 2 review. I was going to watch Dune for the very first time because I didn't see it when it came out in 2021, um, there's a reason for that, but we'll get into that later. I had a whole plan. I was going to watch it on HBO Max because I imagine it's Warner Brothers, if I'm not mistaken. It, it's not going anywhere. It's not going to leave Max anytime soon. So I imagine it's probably still going to be on Max when it was supposed to come out in like October, November, one of the two embers. And I was going to watch it. And then days later, go to the movie theater and watch Dune Part 2. And then once I did my review, my approach was to not just talk about Dune Part 2, but also talk about Dune Part 1. Because this is a movie, supposedly, I didn't really know much about how this worked before I sat down just now and watched Dune, the first one. But given that one was Part 1 and Part 2, I imagine this was not a complete story. If that makes sense. I imagine this kind of cut in a weird middle. It's not like we got a denouement, a resolution at the end of part one. And then we have a whole new story starting um, in part two. I figured this will be something where we're getting one whole story, but it's split in two parts. That's what I figured um but I wasn't sure but I, I figured I didn't know I really did not know I, w- I was hoping to kind of be surprised at the end of Dune part one and then days later go into part two that's what I was hoping and then once I did my review figure out how the two bridge and if it if it bridges well but alas we're still in the middle of two strikes the writer's strike and the actor strike and because actors are not able to promote their films, and because actors are striking, which means movies are not getting shot, which means they still need movies to come out in 2024, a lot is getting delayed. And one of the things that, were, that was getting delayed was Dune Part 2. For real? I had a plan. <sighs> I guess I gotta Wait. And I was going to be so proud of myself for going to see it. Why? Because I'm not a big sci-fi or fantasy person. Now, let me know what genre you would place this in more Sci fi or fantasy? Because again, this is not my forte. This is not my go to genre. I don't even like to read sci fi fantasy. Like, I bought the book Dune with the intention of reading it before I saw the movie. And I don't remember what it was if I read the back or just kind of flipped through it. I realized, yeah, no, this is not going to happen. Never read it, never saw the movie. So, yeah, this is not really my. I just know that when I'm watching a very sci-fi, very, very sci-fi. So when I say very sci-fi, I mean, I'm talking like, you know, maybe it's dystopian years into the future. And, you know, I can't pronounce half the names and planets and stuff like that, or even like high fantasy, like Lord of the Rings. I've only seen one and a half of the movies. I was supposed to read The Hobbit in the eighth grade. I got to a part about The Hobbit smoking and stopped. And I'm like, yeah, this is stupid. This is dumb. I don't want to read this. Just give me the F. I can't get into it. It's not that it's bad or that it's not good or it's not as good as something else that holds my interest. I just can't get into it. I can't. So don't hear me saying, oh my God, sci-fi is terrible. It's not terrible. I see the value in it. I see the beauty in it. And I can definitely see why people love it so much. Fantasy especially. But I, I can't find myself connecting to it if that makes sense now there are certain sci-fi things that um i guess you could say exceptions so like jurassic park love jurassic park right that's science fiction so stuff like that stuff where it's rooted in a little bit of reality but it, it, it stretches you just just a tad the science makes sense but you know it's not real does that make that's that's jurassic park if you've never read jurassic park the, the science is so detailed that you get to a point where you're like, this could actually happen. Like that's very much Jurassic Park. Fantasy, um, Harry Potter. That's about as fantasy as I can get. Yeah, I know that's very infant juvenile of me, but yeah, that's about it. And then in terms of like, or sci-fi or fantasy in terms of reading it, YA fiction, teen fiction, that's about as extra as I can get. So I think of like, um, I think it's Marissa Meyer. Or Melissa Meyer wrote a book called Cinder. It's, it's a series of books that are like retellings of fairy tales. That I love. Um, anything like that. The Red Queen, I think, was a book by Victoria Aveyard. Probably saying her name incorrectly. But something like that. Or, you know, um, City of Bones. So Cassandra Clare. Twilight um dystopian fiction within teen fiction. I love that stuff. I can do it cuz there's a bit of reality. There's something real that I can anchor to, if that makes sense. Once you take me completely off of planet Earth or like a thousand and however many years into the future where nothing is recognizable, it's it's very difficult for me to anchor for me to to get in, I need an. I'm looking for an anchor. I'm looking for something real for me to hold on to, so that I can fully understand what's happening over there. Star Wars for me has an anchor. Luke Skywalker is very much human. I mean, he to me he comes off as your kind of normal American. He he's very real. He's something that I can anchor to, and I can kind of through him make sense of everything else. Does that make sense? So. Th- looking at Dune, just from the trailer, it looked like something that I wouldn't be able to get into because it was so far out there. But I heard so many amazing things about this movie, right? So many accolades, nominations, and I figure it looks stunning from what I could see from a distance, but I was just kind of afraid that I would go into the theater and I would just be completely lost, which is not unusual. Again, I've only seen one and a half of the Lord of the Rings movies, and watching that one and a half was strange. Stressful. Very stressful. But I also have to show myself just a little bit of grace because I was 18 years of age and had never really read anything. I'd never seen anything quite like that. So yeah, I I was wanting to kind of dip my toes into the extreme for me. So for some of you who are very much into this genre, whether in literature or in film, this might not be extreme for you, but for me it is. So I wanted to kind of kind of take you on this journey of dipping my toes into new waters. So we're talking about Dune. And my hope is that those of you who are listening can answer some questions that I'm probably going to have because while I was able to get through it, Dune part 1, I'm not sure if I liked it. And I'm not exactly sure if I understand everything that's going on. <laughs> So we are talking about Dune Part 1, directed by French-Canadian director. I say that because I think I might get his name wrong, and I always feel bad. Denis Villeneuve. I hope we're crossing our fingers is based on the novel by Frank Herbert, which I do own, but have not read. As I said, stars, Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, Javier Bardem fun fact about Javier Bardem, not really a fun fact, but more so a fun fact about me that involves him. Uh, he was in no country for old men. I've never seen the movie in its entirety. I started watching it and couldn't finish. Um, because his character now y'all know, I love scary movies, right? I love horror films, right? But there was something about his character that was so terrifying. I couldn't finish. Yeah. It's on my bucket list to finish the movie, but they, I don't know. Maybe we can have a whole discussion about it. But there was something about his character that just chilled me to my bones. I couldn't finish. The same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Freddy Krueger, it took me two days to watch it. I had to split it in half. There's something about Freddy Krueger, even the remake, that terrifies me, literally scares me, genuinely scares me, not just jump scares me, or you know, scares me for a good little bit and then gives me nightmares, but no, genuinely me terrifies and frightens me, like makes me want to sleep with the light on, you know, check all the closets, having to slap my face and snap it out of it. Like, remember, you know, this is real life kind of fear, real fear. So yeah, um, keep me in your prayers. I am a walking paradox. But now this is what I understood this movie to be about. So we have the House of Atreides, if I'm correct, and they live on this one planet, and they seem to be the good people. These are the protagonists. We like them, right? And then there's the other house, um, which is kind of sorta not really led by Stellan Skarsgard, who plays Baron Vladimir Halkonen. and we don't like him. He he's not the good guy, we don't like him at all. Um, he looks like a really large slug. And Paul Atreides is the heir to the House of Atreides. His father, played by Oscar Isaac, is Duke Leto Atreides, and he's a benevolent, good dude. We love him. We like him. Paul seems to be this ambitious young man, but there's a patience about him. But yet also, you know, he's um, ready to go. He's ready to do the dang thing. Um, This is a story that's all about timing, it seems and it's all about things being in the right timing or bad timing, terrible timing, people being sent to the wrong place and it's just things don't get messed things get messed up and he seems to be the chosen one. He is the one that seem that looks like he is about he is the one to fulfill this prophecy about the Mahadi. Did I get that correctly? And kind of this messianic figure that's supposed to lead the Fremen, people to paradise, correct me if I'm wrong. This is my invitation for you to come to the comment section of wherever and correct me if I'm wrong. Help me understand because I need to make sure I get all of this before um, I watch part two. Now, I could have just watched this a second time to, you know, get my thoughts in order, but no, I need help. So that's why y'all are here. You're going to help me. You're going to help me make sense of this so that we're all on the same page. And yeah, I was just a little confused. This movie is visually stunning and visually distracting. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think that's more my problem than anything else. So this Paul Dube, hey, played by Timothy Chalamet, is, you know, he's ambitious, he's talented, he's educated, and he's ready to do great big things, explore new worlds, and get his feet wet, in a sense. Except they're going to this desert place called... Archaeus Arc Ar Arrakis, Arrakis. <laughs> Help me y'all They go to this desert planet called Arrakis that has this thing called spice. Now, this is the part that made sense because a lot of the tropes here, this narrative structure is very very familiar. And I'm getting ahead of myself, so we're going to come back to that. So Arrakis has this thing called spice. It's very valuable. It's useful. And everybody wants it. That's where the Harkonnen come in, is that at one point, they were the oppressors of this planet taking this resource for themselves. And then all of a sudden, they're no longer there. And Atreides is given rule over this planet. But we like the House of Atreides. They're good, benevolent people. So it's not like they want to strip and assault the land. Um, I'm only, sh- I'm not so sure what words I can use on YouTube and which one I- ones I can't. But, you know, they want to be able to live in harmony with the people there, the Fremen, and also, you know, make money off of this resource. But things go crazy. And It turns out that the emperor who assigned them to this planet, who sent them there, actually sent them there to die. And the Harkonnen come back to the planet and try to kill people. But it's okay because Paul is a chosen one. Am I getting it right so far? And that's basically part one in a sense, because we get an introduction to this young man who is clearly the protagonist here, who's not just a protagonist, but he's our hero. And we're meant to follow him on this journey. His journey of self-discovery, of growth is kind of a coming of age. And his world gets turned upside down. He's in the m- middle of this extreme conflict. He survives. And now he meets up with the Fremen people, people he studied and learned. He's learned their language. He's anxious to meet them and, and learn more about them. But even more so, there's a girl. He keeps having visions about this girl named, he doesn't know her name. We don't learn her name to the end. And of course it's Zendaya, who's absolutely gorgeous. We'll, nope, nope, nope. I'll make my comment later. So he finally meets up with them. He proves himself. And that's kind of where the movie ends. We're going on a different adventure. We get one adventure with Paul and then we're going to get another one. And that's where part two seems to pick up, is going to pick up. Correct me if I'm wrong. Cause if I got any of that wrong or I missed a couple things, let me know let me know. Now, I don't know whether or not I liked it, but I do know that I'm intrigued enough for part two. And I think I'm intrigued enough because I like Paul. I like this character. I like him. I like him enough to want to follow him on this journey, but I don't know if I necessarily liked the movie. Does that make sense? I'm not sure how I feel about the movie as a whole give me like a day or two I think I I enjoyed it I don't know but I like Paul I like Paul and I'm anxious to see where his relationship with Zendaya's character Shawnee how that develops. And here's the thing I loved about the ending though, is that, you know, everything happens. There's this great conflict and that part of his story ends that chapter ends. And then just as we are beginning a new chapter chapter, we're getting a new side of Paul. We're, we're seeing this new compassionate and human side of Paul, this great warrior, this skilled fighter. And yet he's filled with so much compassion. He is a leader. We're getting a sense of who he's going to be as a leader. We're getting a sense of his goals and ambition, And also the next conflict, which is going to be this relationship, whether conflict can be good, conflict can be bad, but we're getting a sense of what's to come next. So we've gotten this great epic story. Okay, yeah, I guess I did like it. So we've gotten this great epic story from the beginning and we're getting set up for the continuation of it. And I appreciated that this little sneak preview. That's essentially what the last, I'd say, 15 minutes of this movie is. It's a sneak preview of what's to come. I appreciated that. And I I like the way it ended. I didn't feel disappointed. I didn't feel let down. It didn't feel like a cliffhanger. It it gave me enough to be, okay, I can wait. So, yeah, I guess I did really like it. But here's my thing about these sci-fi fantasy movies is that they can be so busy. There's a lot going on and it's everything's different and weird. And we've got new words and words that don't exist and words we made up and languages. And it's not just like extra languages in this movie. There's also a different kind of sign language, the details. So it can be a lot, it can be overwhelming, but I think when it's done right, when you really pay attention to those little details, it's just enough but for someone like me, who's not into this. Now, some of y'all love sci-fi. You love fantasy. You're used to all of this, the, whatever it is of it, you love it. But for people like me, when we're stepping into the theater, those of us who are not into this genre, we're not used to it. It takes a lot for us to get into it. It might take a couple of movies to work as practice, but I'm I'm just going to give you three things, three things that I need from a sci-fi or high fantasy film in order for me to be engaged. And these three things can apply to any movie, but I especially need this from sci-fi, high fantasy, anything that's... This is Paige,
1: the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you
0: completely out of this world and doesn't look like reality. I I need these things. Number one, I need a simple storyline. Keep it simple. Don't make it too complicated. Don't have a lot of side hustles going here, there. Keep the storyline simple. I think that's one of the reasons why Avatar works. If Avatar was any busier, it would have been too much. Focus on one thing. With sci-fi, I think, and even fantasy, focus on one thing. You can either focus on the complicated storyline, which it's okay to have a complicated or complex or intricate storyline, or focus on the visuals. I think that's what makes Avatar works. Avatar has a very simple, um, cliche narrative, typical, we've seen it before, but incredible visuals. All of the effort and all the focus is put in the visuals and they keep the storyline simple. That's What I did like about Dune is the visuals are incredible. All these little intricate details are amazing, and they keep the storyline simple. I'm not being forced to pay attention to two different things at once. The storyline is easy to follow. I've heard it before. It's nothing new. It's a simple storyline. That way I can be in awe of what's in front of my eyes, these amazing visuals, this beautiful desert. The clothing, the makeup, the costume, all the things, like all the extra visuals. If you're going to really do something that's high visuals, keep your storyline simple. That's all I ask. That's all I need from you. Oh, well, I need two more things. Number two, give me a well-rounded protagonist. I'm already a lost little Easter egg going into the movie. Give me a well-rounded protagonist, somebody with a lot of character, somebody that I can follow. Now, not to say that he doesn't have any flaws because we love a real, well-rounded, true, three-dimensional character. Make him real. Make Give him a sense of humanity, definitely, but make him well-rounded. Make him full. Give me a reason to hold his hand and give me a reason to trust him to guide me through this story, to guide me through this crazy world. Timothy's Paul I think is an incredibly well-rounded character. We get a lot. Again, he's an ambitious young man. He is figuring himself out. It's a coming of age story. He's strong and he's um he's strong and he's he's skilled, but he's very compassionate and he has his his own sense of self and he's definitely his father's son he's a, a man who is wanting to step out and be his own man yet honor his father in the process i can relate to pieces of that i have no problem holding this man's hand and letting him lead me down this way now in the same breath think about equalizer and i did a review for that and we have this incredibly flawed yet well-rounded character of robert mccall denzel washington's yet because he is so well-rounded because he's so complex and human there's something about him like yeah i might die but i'm gonna follow him i I feel good following him does that make sense see i give me a a simple storyline and give me a well-rounded protagonist the third thing i need absolutely need is a clear villain. Give me a clear villain. Give me somebody I can root for and give me somebody to hate. Just make it clear. Make it abundantly clear that this is the person. We don't like him. We want him to fail. He's awful or she, whatever the movie is. I just, I need it to be clear. Now, that doesn't mean that this person has to be all bad and evil. Again, we also want a well-rounded, well-drawn-out character who is human in some aspects, but at the same time, we know this is a person we're not supposed to like. Don't give me too much ambiguity. Okay, how do make this make sense? He should be, he or she should be ambiguous in their characters, but not ambiguous in their role. Keep it simple. Give me a simple storyline, a well-rounded protagonist, and a clear villain. If you can do those three things, I can anchor, and I will follow you through the movie. And I think Dune has all three of these. It's a completely, wonderfully simple storyline. Now, what's so simple about the storyline? Now, what I'm about to say, don't take this in a negative light. I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean this in a very positive way, but it's also very true. This story isn't new it's something we've heard before it's harry potter in different clothes and it's a very conventional um well used narrative trope so to speak um, if you are on TikTok at all, TikTok at all and you hear the word tropes, typically it's with, you know, the smutty romance and, you know, book talk side of TikTok where people talk about like enemies to lovers or friends to lovers, you know, mafia, billionaire, stuff like that, those tropes. Well, this trope that, um, Dune is taking on is typically called like the chosen one. So we're, we're following somebody and they are the only one who could somehow bring resolution to the story. They're the only one that can bring the plot full circle. They are the chosen one. And we've seen this in a couple of other films, Harry Potter, for instance. And in the same breath, we're talking about somebody who is destined via a prophecy to fulfill this, this, that, and the third. Does that make sense? Now, I'm sure once we get more into the story, we're going to see other elements within this narrative. And this chosen one is going to always come against opposition. There's always a threat to the chosen one's life. And we saw two distinct threats. There was this like weird little bug thingy that turned out to be this little machine that he caught with his bare hands. And everyone was like, oh, yes, he is him catching that thing with his bare hands. And then, you know, the massive plot by the Harkonnen when they decided they wanted to evade invade Arrakis... And they tried to kill him and that didn't work. So there's always these massive threats against his life. There's always this crazy big conflict, this um, these opportunities for him to discover himself, for him to realize there's so much more to him than meets the eye, more to him than what he sees in his reflection. And then there's usually kind of a love story tucked in there to kind of remind us Of his humanity, to remind himself of his humanity. You know, so that love interest serves a purpose. One, we have another character that we can root for, we have a relationship that we can root for, and then we get reminded of this character's why. Not just, you know, oh, we gotta save the people, but that love interest ends up kind of representing so much more than just their character. Does that make sense? So there's always that. And then we have this great battle and then a good triumph. That's typically what we get from a chosen one narrative. Now there are different types of narrative tropes. Again, you have your typical romance tropes, um enemies to lovers, classic example I believe is Pride and Prejudice. I yeah, I would call that enemies to lovers. Um, you know, the a hero's journey is a num- is a regular one you might see stuff like that things you know think about storylines where you're like oh this is very similar to this and that and that there's nothing new under the sun a lot of your favorite stories they follow a very familiar narrative and there's usually a name for it for dune it's the chosen one and i and i appreciate it it's a very simple story and on top of that you have the messianic element to it so Even if you are Christian or not Christian or you're Muslim, Jewish, what have you, this idea of a messianic chosen one who's going to redeem the people or lead them to victory, lead them to paradise. This is something we've heard before. And again, it's a good anchor. It's something we can hold to. It's familiar. It's something we can, trust. it's a story, a plot device that we can trust. So yeah, now that I think about it, I actually really did like this movie. It's it's stunningly beautiful. Timothy Chalamet. This is my second time seeing Mr. Timothy Chandelier. Uh, the first time was actually Bones and All last fall. And no, I have not seen Little Women. Leave me alone. So he is a very compelling actor. He's very good. Um, he's just good. He's so young. Not that young, actually. I don't think he's that much younger than me, to be honest. But well. well yeah, who knows? Anyways, he's young. He's very vibrant. He's compelling. He's very captivating. Um, he kind of draws you in. He, he brings you into himself when he's performing. So he's a very charismatic performer. So I really enjoyed him thus far. And, you know, you have Oscar Isaac and Stella Skarsgård. I have to remind myself that I'm in love with his two sons, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Javier Bardem. You know these actors that we can trust. Jason Momoa. I believe this is actually my first time really seeing him on screen. Now I did see his cameo in The Flash, but um, I, I don't think I've ever really seen him on screen before. No, I did not see Aquaman. I'm, I, I'm look it. Leave me alone. And I like him. He's actually really cool. He's very good. I, I really. it was sad. I was sad. I was very sad. And then Zendaya. Now, we don't get a whole lot of Zendaya in this movie, we get a bit of her at the end. I imagine we're going to get more of her in part two, but she kind of serves as a kind of a draw, you know, a, a string that's being pulled for our Paul Atreides. And a kind of a reason for him to keep going, a reason for him to keep stepping forward, something new for him to discover. He doesn't know who she is or what she is or why she's showing up in dreams and visions. But there's there's a draw there. And then when he finally sees her face to face, it's this interesting moment because he's had this beautiful vision, almost this angelic vision of this woman. And she's very hard and, you know, kind of soft spoken and strong. And so it's going to be interesting to see, to watch him kind of reconcile this image that he's always had of her with the reality of her. I don't know. I can't wait. I'm very much looking forward to watching that bloom and develop. But Zendaya, though, okay, can we just give a round of applause? To whoever is managing her entire team, her manager, agent, whoever is managing her. Can we keep managing her? Can we just give them a round of applause? Because my goodness, there are not a whole lot of people who came out of the Disney house who are doing successful big things now. You have Miley Cyrus, who's doing great in music. Now, she tried her hand in film, didn't really get much of anywhere. She's really not that great of an actress. Selena Gomez, I think had she not gotten sick, we probably would have gotten more out of her as an actress. But she is definitely doing her TV thing on Hulu. I'm very proud of her. I've always been a big fan. Um, Bella Thorne, we got a couple of little movies out of her. Sabrina Carpenter. Um, she's doing her music thing. She's not so much in movies. Music has always been her thing. I think Girl Meets World was just kind of a stepping stone for her to get into music. But if you follow, if you've ever, if you have been following Sabrina Carpenter's career since she was very, very small, I think she was about maybe 10 or 11. The first time I ever saw her do anything, it's always been about music. Always. Music has always been the thing. Hillary Duff you know, had her way with career, her career for a bit, mostly music, you know, some television here and there. Who else? Rowan Blanchard went nowhere after Girl Meets World. And then Zendaya, who was really kind of the um, the co-star, you know, it was all, of, you know, Shake It Up was all about Bella Thorne's character, Cece. And, you know, Rocky Blue played by Zendaya was just, you know, the, I don't want to say side character. They were definitely rocking the show together, but it was definitely more, CC or Bella Thorne's vehicle than Zendaya's. At least that's what it was supposed to be. But yet, um, I don't know what it was about Zendaya that they realized, hey, there, there's something to this. So they ended up giving her her own show, KC Undercover, and she's just killing it in Hollywood, y'all. I mean, golly, Marvel, Euphoria. I mean, h- HBO Max basically created a television show to launch her. That's all euphoria is. It's an opportunity to launch Zendaya. It's, it's something to add to her portfolio. She has a movie call, coming out of this Challenger or Challengers that also got delayed. Uh, she's just doing big things. Like her resume is stacked, it's incredible. Like and she's good for it, and and she's so unproblematic. I mean, she's a talented young woman. She doesn't cause any issues. She stays out of the public eye. I imagine she's a joy to work with. Like you, she's the total package, and she sings and she dances. Like, girl, get that bag. I am so happy for her. Like I love rooting for Zendaya. So seeing her at the tail end of this and knowing that we're going to get more from her in Dune 2 gets me incredibly excited. I I'm just I can't wait to get more from her and honestly, I can't wait to see what happens with Paul. I'm just ready to continue on the journey with Paul. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to me rant and rave about yet another movie. So that was my first viewing of Dune part one. And I've decided I do like it. I enjoyed that. It was much more drama driven than I expected. I don't I didn't know anything about the story or anything like that before stepping into it um only that it was way outside my comfort zone so for some people this might not be a big deal but I feel like I just walked on the moon like I I did something that I didn't think I would be able to do which I know it seems small but I am not one to enjoy this genre this extreme of a genre and I really did so there's a hope for me in the movie viewing future so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it very much, much more drama driven than I thought. Visually stunning. The it, the quietness of it all was very. I, I enjoyed that. I, it was quieter than I think I've seen a lot of sci fi and fantasy films, um, the visuals and the actors really did just speak for themselves. Literally, I think Timothy Shil- uh, him. I think he's a very compelling and charismatic and very talented actor. I think there's a lot that could potentially be built on his shoulders. So as long as he stays gifted and keeps his nose clean, I look forward to whatever it is he has in the future. Same with Zendaya. We didn't get a whole lot of her from this movie, but obviously we're set up for something more in part two. So I'm definitely looking forward to see to seeing what she brings to the table in part two actually, now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure this is the first time I have seen her on the big screen. I've seen her on television. I think I watched half an episode of Euphoria. Couldn't watch any more than that. Um, You know, watched all of her on all of her stuff on Disney Channel. But this really was the first time I think I'd seen her on the big screen. And she well, not big screen, I guess a big blockbuster movie because again, I did watch this Um, on a small little television but this this is the first time I've really seen her show her stuff in a blockbuster fashion what I've seen from her before was mostly you know Disney slapstick comedy which she's great at so yeah it's it's nice to see her growing and developing as an actress and developing a reputation as someone who is trustworthy and who can deliver so I'm looking forward to Dune Part 2 in next March. I'm still crossing my fingers and hoping maybe, maybe something miraculous can happen. And maybe we can get it, you know, at the original release date. But who knows? Who knows? We're just kind of just following along at this point. I feel like we're all being held hostage. It's kind of annoying at this point. I'm I'm going to be real. So what's coming up next? I still don't know. I still don't know. Um, The month of September, if you listen to the one I did for Twister, um, I have no idea. I'm kind of making this up as I go for September, but I have my October all planned out. So stay tuned for the surprise next week. But thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe. I love you all and I will see you next time.